Hello and welcome to the FIEC podcast where you'll hear teaching and resources for church leaders to help independent churches work together to reach Britain for Christ. How should we manage division in our churches, in church leadership and within our congregations? FIEC National Director John Stevens is joined by FIEC's Church Leadership Consultant Ray Evans to explore this topic with teaching from Acts 15 and 16. This is followed by a short Q&A with church leaders. I want to start by just taking us to God's word very briefly um, as we begin. And I think for all of us, we're aware that this is a time of uh, significant and increased anxiety. I don't know about you, but certainly both personally and as a church leader, um, I I feel um, a heightened level of um, anxiety as we face these uh, new challenges. We may be um, anxious for ourselves. We may be uh, anxious for uh, family members, congregation members. We may be anxious for our ministry and our church. We may be anxious about um, our health. We may be anxious about our ability to be able to persevere through this time. We may be anxious about the long-term futures uh, for our ministry and our work. It's it's natural to feel at a human level um, anxiety uh, in these times. That anxiety is often compounded by the uncertainty um, uh, that we uh, experience. So I thought it'd be good just to remind us um, ourselves of some uh, really significant and um, uh, sort of well-known verses from Philippians uh, chapter four. And in Philippians chapter four, uh, verses uh, four to seven, we read this. Paul writes to um, uh, the church in Philippi, rejoice in the Lord always. I will say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. The Lord is near. Do not be anxious about anything, but in every situation, By prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your requests to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. Well, just three very simple things from those verses. Um, uh, Paul recognises there that the problem these believers are facing, um, these believers in Philippi who are facing the prospect of increased persecution uh, from a hostile society around them, their problem is uh, anxiety. They're worried about the future. They're worried for themselves. They're worried for those uh, in their congregation. They're worried for their church. Um, The problem is anxiety. Uh, And Paul speaks into that problem and he shares with them the prescription. Um, How are they to to respond to this problem of anxiety? Well, the prescription that he gives them is to uh, pray. Um, uh, Verse six, he urges them not to be anxious. Um, They've got a a sense of personal deliberate control over whether they allow themselves to be anxious or not. And rather than directing their energies at at anxiety, they should instead uh, turn to God in uh, prayer, petition and thanksgiving because he is the God who hears and answers. He is the God who is able to answer. He is the one who, in the name of the Lord Jesus, promises to hear our uh, requests. The um, answer uh, to the the problem of anxiety is not to become consumed with the problems that we face, but instead to turn uh, and cry out to uh, God. And let's remember here, Paul knew what he was speaking about. He was in prison. He had no doubt experienced anxiety himself. This is what Paul did. And it's what he is urging uh, the church to do. And then Paul um, uh, sort of uh, encourages them to cry out to the Lord in prayer with a promise. 
And the promise is not quite what you expect. The promise we might expect to be, and God will do what you ask. God will remove the cause of your anxiety. God will make your situation uh, easier. That's not what Paul says, and he goes on in this chapter to speak about how he's learnt the secret of contentment, no matter what the circumstances might be. Paul knew very well that when we cry out to the Lord, that doesn't necessarily mean he removes the circumstances that cause our anxiety. No, instead, what he promises is that when we turn to God and cry out to God, the promise that we'll receive is a peace um, uh, that is able to protect us. And peace here is really the settled confidence that God is in control, God is working out his good purposes. God will um, uh, accomplish his plan of salvation. We will enter uh, ultimately into the wholeness that he has promised his people. So as we face um, a time of anxiety, um, let's recognize that that's a real problem. Let's turn to God in prayer. Let's um, uh, experience and trust in his promise of peace. And, and as we do this, we'll be able to live in this world in the way that God intends us to in the face of this anxiety. Look at what Paul says in verse four. Rejoice in the Lord always. I'll say it again, rejoice. Let your gentleness be evident to all. Surely that's the kind of people, the kind of leaders that we need to be in these times. We need to be those who are rejoicing in the Lord. We need to be those who are evidently gentle in the way that we relate to all people. We need to be those who are confident and trusting that the Lord is near. We need this for ourselves. And uh, we need to encourage our people in the same way to uh, turn to the Lord in prayer, to trust in his promise of peace so that they will be a people who are rejoicing uh, and gentle. Uh, let's uh, pray. Heavenly Father, we do want to thank you and praise you for these words of Paul uh, as a challenge and encouragement to the church in Philippi. Thank you that you are the God who is near to your people. Thank you that when we feel anxiety, we can cry out to you in prayer and bring our requests to you because the way has been opened through the Lord Jesus. Thank you that you promised to give us your peace. Thank you that we have peace with you because of his death for us on the cross. Uh, thank you that we can have absolute confidence that you are in control, accomplishing your purposes, uh, and that um, uh, we will um, experience the full blessings of salvation. Uh, please, as we reflect on that, might that enable us to be those who, even in the midst of anxious times, are rejoicing in you. We want to pray that we would be people who are gentle in our dealings with all. Please, um, uh, may this be true for us personally, and please would you help us to encourage the members of our churches to uh, turn to you in prayer and to experience this peace themselves. And we ask this in Jesus' name. Amen. Um, I'll hand out straight over to Ray, who's going to be speaking to us about leading um, in a context of division. Ray, over to you. Thanks very much indeed. Thank you, uh, brothers and sisters. Good to be with you. Um, leading uh, in a time of division, uh, I thought the uh, what we would do is learn from a very clever man and uh, from a particularly difficult passage of the Bible. Uh, the passage is Acts 15. If you have that open, that might really be helpful. And the clever man was John Stott. And John Stott does a great... Um, uh, outline of this passage as you know it's got lots of technical things in it that are complicated but the uh, the overview I think can really help us uh, as we face division for here we see uh, a section of the bible describing uh, this issue of churches with Christians who are confused and are not agreeing with one another and uh, how the early church dealt with it so the first thing uh, Stott says, verses 1 to 18, really, is, is the truth of the gospel under threat? Now, you'll know uh, assessing threats is not, e not an easy thing. Uh, a three-year-old 
sees no threat whatsoever in fast moving cars, uh, but uh, a light not on in their bedroom as they want to go to sleep is the most terrifying thing they've ever experienced. So assessing threats is not always easy. So we have to use a lot of grace and wisdom and judgment. But in this opening section, you do see a serious threat. Certain people came down from Judea uh, to Antioch, were teaching the believers, unless you are circumcised according to the custom taught by Moses, you cannot be saved. Now, you immediately think, well, of course, these are false teachers. They're not Christians. They're leading God's people astray. But as you go on, uh, you come across uh, verse five. Then some of the believers who belong to the party of the Pharisees, uh, they stood up and said the Gentiles must be circumcised and required to keep the law of Moses. Then you realize that this probably Christians, but Christians are quite capable of teaching uh, wrong stuff. Uh, we can teach uh, truth, um, but get it very muddled. And the truth of the gospel was under threat at that time. And it was under threat from confused Christians. Now, they're confused for all kinds of reasons, but there it is. This is not an external threat. This is an internal threat, and it's affecting the truth of the gospel. And what you find is that the truth of the gospel is defended vigorously. Uh, Paul and Barnabas straight away in verse two, they come into sharp dispute with these teachers who are teaching that you must be circumcised in order to be saved. They all decide, as you know, that they, they need to thrash this out with the leadership in Jerusalem. So they are sent uh, to consult and they meet with the apostles and elders. You'll notice that little cryptic phrase, after much discussion. Uh, Luke is a master of um, uh, concise summaries. Uh, we have no idea what much discussion, but it probably was heated. It was probably tense. But Luke's summary is he gives us three spokespeople, Peter, who stands up and summarizes, no, we believe it is through the grace of the Lord Jesus that we are saved just as they are. He reaffirms, clarifies, defends the biblical gospel. Paul and Barnabas then give evidence to the effectiveness of that same gospel in bringing salvation to Jews and Gentiles. And then, as you know, James uh, summarizes with some Bible teaching uh, and they defend the biblical gospel. But the point is, we have to assess, is the truth of the gospel under threat or is some aspect of the spread of the gospel under threat? Uh, that's what they debated. And, and Stott makes the point here that we need to get our categories right. Is the truth of the gospel under threat? It was then. It was defended vigorously. But you don't want to make a category error. But the second thing he goes on to say is, question mark, is Christian fellowship under threat? And from verse 19 onwards, uh, down really through to verse 35, you realise that Christian fellowship is under threat too. But it's dealt with in a different manner. Uh, notice uh, James's statement, it's my judgment, therefore, we shouldn't make it difficult for the Gentiles who are turning to God. But there are some things that will help Christian fellowship be possible. Christian fellowship was under threat. Uh, Jews and Gentiles had very different uh, habits, 
outlooks, conscientiously held positions, particularly over the matter of eating food. And the early Christian leaders not only wanted the gospel to be defended, they wanted Christian fellowship to be maintained. But the problem is that people are very different. You'll know any reading of the New Testament, the issue of Jew and Gentile fellowship, uh, both being under in one church was a huge threat to gospel fellowship, Christian fellowship. So they bend over backwards to try and help both Jew and Gentile. So what they give, uh, what he says, as you know, he comes up with these uh, practices that they want the Gentiles to observe. Now, clearly, this is not a salvation issue. Uh, circumcision is not uh, even in the discussion. The gospel of grace, justification, faith has been established at uh, the discussions they had. But what these are are wisdom calls about how to make fellowship possible now you'll know that the uh, church and commentators have been debating these things for centuries what quite are the status of these when you first read them this seems quite a mixture uh, you've got everything from banning uh, as i may put it like this black pudding right through to uh you know maintaining fidelity in marriage and unfaithfulness it, it it looks like a kind of complete category issue some commentators i think probably wisely are saying this is probably mainly associated with the things from the mosaic law particularly to do with food laws that jews were still holding to conscientiously feeling not quite understanding quite the dramatic changes that had come under the new covenant and probably the reference to sexual immorality here is not what we might call baseline right and wrong, but probably to do with issues to do with marriage laws, um, who you could marry under the old covenant and so on. You know, John the Baptist uh, was murdered because of him upholding that principle. Uh, it, it was widely uh, in Gentile culture, there was very, very few restrictions on who one could marry. As you know, in most traditional cultures, marriage is all about keeping wealth within families and honour being upheld by not marrying beneath you. And Gentiles pretty much ignored all those long and deeply held uh, views of marriage that the Jews had established. I think that's probably what they're trying to do. But what they're giving is wise advice to Christians to say this is really important that we flex towards one another putting those two things together uh, point one and two there uh, how would we reflect on where we are now I guess we would say the government is not threatening the truth of the gospel we're not affecting the truth of the gospel at the moment it doesn't seem to me that's happening uh, John, as you know, has just uh, wisely led us through the latest, latest um, uh, legislation and its implications. Uh, I think we would recognise that around the world, by and large, governments are trying to preserve life. Um, Genesis 50, uh, God meant this to save many lives. Uh, the intention is to save life. Uh, the outworking may be uh, difficult to always justify but that's probably where we are 
Is Christian fellowship under threat? Well, it may well be within a church. Uh, there may be those who conscientiously feel they should be meeting and those who conscientiously feel they should not. Uh, they would feel that, uh, that that's something that uh, could lead to division. And I think what Acts 15, this section shows us is the church bending backwards to say, look, there shouldn't be superior or inferior. Gentiles were not being treated as second best but neither were Jews being treated as second best. They were all trying to help one another as much as possible. It would need great maturity and grace. Uh, you'll notice the result. Uh, so important is this issue that the, the regulations are um, repeated again and uh, they reported and uh, people are encouraged. Uh, they realize that the church has clarified the gospel but also is trying to maintain uh, fellowship between those who hold sensitively hold conscientious views. Uh, the third thing that we can discern in this section is, is the spread of the gospel under threat? Uh, this disagreement between Paul and Barnabas, and as uh, Luke writes Acts, his division is probably at the end of verse at five in Acts chapter 16. If you were doing the chapter divisions nowadays, you probably would split 15 at the uh, at 16, five. It's one of Luke's markers. We find here a, a different kind of threat, a different kind of issue. The truth of the gospel is not under threat. Christian fellowship is, well, it does become under threat in a way, but it's more about the, the spread of the gospel. Is it under threat? And you could argue both yes and no. Uh, Paul comes up with a good plan. Sometime later, Paul said to Barnabas, let's go back and visit the believers. What a great plan that was. But then immediately the plan um, goes to pot. Verse 37, Barnabas wanted to take John, but Paul didn't think it wise. Now, this is a really interesting issue. Where is in the early section, it was not right. The gospel was uh, not being held clearly and truthfully. The truth of the gospel was at stake. It was an issue of right and wrong. Here, it's an issue of wise and unwise, or you could put it foolish and wise. It's not a moral issue. You don't sense Paul is saying, Barnabas, it would be a sin for you to take, uh, for us to take, Mark, you would be sinning. It's just unwise. Now, you could speculate on why that's so. Uh, we're told in the text because Mark had deserted them in Pamphylia. That is a strong word. Uh, that issue of desertion, of betraying them, as it were. Uh, Mark perhaps had cracked under pressure. Paul recognizes that they will be under more pressure uh, and he was right to think that way having said that he was Barnabas's cousin and perhaps Barnabas had a soft spot for his cousin and thought that uh, there was still hope for him and invest in him now you notice they had such a sharp disagreement now that's really important to see that that these are both godly men it's not that one is a mature christian and the other is a young juvenile who completely messes up 
Barnabas and Paul are mature, godly men, but they look at this issue quite differently. And what it shows us that calls about what is wise or what is foolish are not always easy. That's true when we look externally, is the government making a wise move or a foolish move? But it's also true internally. Is this, are these two leaders? We tend to want to see one is right, one is wrong. Uh, we perhaps even read uh, that little phrase, Barnabas took Mark and sailed off for hype to Cyprus. And we put in our minds, we read in a huff. But I don't think that's how we should read it at all. Here are two godly men and they have such a sharp disagreement about taking the gospel forward, what is wise, that they go their own way. Uh, for the moment, Luke is sticking with Paul. As you know, the we section of the uh, Acts of the Apostles starts fairly soon. Luke uh, appears on the scene personally quite soon. Um, so he's with his he's with Paul at this point, but he's not saying that Barnabas is wrong morally or foolish. It's just they had a sharp disagreement and they're difficult things for leadership teams. But notice as the section goes on, I just want you to pick up on this, that. Though they had such a sharp disagreement. Paul is not tainted by that. Uh, three little things. First, he's not frustrated about young men letting him down you could have thought he might be after losing his best friend in such a sharp disagreement and perhaps in his own view the gospel being held up you could forgive him for saying i'm not going to go anywhere near young men i'm not going to take any more stupid risks like that again but no paul is still investing in young men he realizes that is actually part of spreading the gospel investing in the next generation Paul also knows the difference between principle and pragmatism. In chapter uh, 15, verses 1, the principle, the truth of the gospel was at stake. No circumcision is necessary for salvation. But his section ends with Paul circumcising Timothy. What on earth is going on here? Well, Paul, I think, would say to you, we established the principle. But now, pragmatically, I've got a, a young man whose mother is Jewish, so he's technically seen as Jewish, but he's not got the sign of the old covenant. And everybody knows about this. And so his ability to communicate to Jews is seriously inhibited. We're going to circumcise him so that uh, that would make it possible, easier to get a hearing for the gospel as he communicates to Jews in the future. There's no challenging of the principle. It's having established the principle we can now do what is uh, helpful to take the gospel forward. It shows Paul's willingness to flex with the gospel. And thirdly, we know there is no ultimate rancor between Paul and Barnabas over John Mark. Uh, not that long later, John Mark appears at the end of Colossians and Paul says, welcome him. And as you know, uh, at the very end of his life, in the last few words he writes, uh, John Mark is useful for me. Barnabas's investment in John Mark is pays off not only in Paul's ministry, it pays off for our New Testament because we have Mark's gospel and we are grateful that God used both these guys. Now, what can we reflect on this? Well, I think we can make several reflections on our life as uh, churches. 
we do need to model standing for the truth of the gospel. But that doesn't necessarily mean our understanding of how the gospel should be spread is the same category. The truth of the gospel is a different category from the spread of the gospel. One is a right wrong issue. The other is wise, unwise, foolish issue. I think we need to encourage each other to stand for the truth of the gospel at all costs. But we may find ourselves disagreeing about the spread of the gospel. What's holding it up? What, how can we get around that hold up? Uh, Paul felt that John Mark was holding them up. He felt it was such a hold up that he had to separate from Barnabas. But we need great grace there. Now, within our church, you'll notice uh, the apostles decision, which was a wisdom to keep fellowship. Uh, whereas Paul delivers it, Acts 16, verse four, the people were taught to obey. They're taught to obey. They're taught to obey that willingness to flex as much as possible to keep the fellowship of the gospel, Christian fellowship. And we need to teach our folks through this difficult time within our churches um, how to really be sensitive towards those who might see it differently. Uh, our church was able to start uh, some live services, but there were quite a significant number who, for all kinds of reasons, felt that, that it would not be wise, even right for them to attend. Some were shielding, some were elderly, some were vulnerable for other reasons. Some just didn't feel it was the right time yet. We needed to teach everybody there is no superior or inferior. The Christians who attend are not better Christians than those who don't and vice versa. We're trying to teach everybody in the spirit of Acts 15, this flex as much as you can to understand someone who might be different from you. I think that's an important thing we need is to model as leaders. And finally, uh, when leaders disagree within our Christian church, well, I just want to just refer this issue to you, this whole issue of really discussing things thoroughly. In one says Acts 15 shows us uh, leadership teams discussing candidly and thoroughly and coming to what one author has called a high quality team-based decision. And we need to aim for high quality team-based decision-making where leaders can honestly speak but we need to empower all the voices. Um, we can put the next slide on. We've had uh, some very help over these last few years. Um, some authors have written about five voices. Uh, too often in leadership teams, we can sometimes degenerate into one loud voice wanting all the other leaders to agree and do what he wants. That's always a danger. But you notice here in Acts 15, there were quite a few voices and they were able to put their point of view. Uh, the authors uh, uh, Kubitschek and Cockrum have talked about five voices. They've talked about creatives who always want to think of new ways of doing things. Connectors who've got friends in high places who want to use their influence to bear. Guardians who are seeing the threats and the dangers and want to protect the church. Uh, next slide, please. We also have got pioneers and nurturers. Pioneers who uh, want to not only um, strengthen churches they want to go and plant new ones as quickly as possible and then nurturers who thinking about well what about people in all of this where do they feature in your plans Mr Visionary the point the authors are trying to make uh, thank you that'll be fine that we can turn those off now 
Uh, the point the authors are trying to make here is that we need in leadership teams to empower all the voices. Uh, eldership teams should not be one powerful person imposing their will on others. In general, that's true. Uh, here, both Barnabas and Paul were empowered to speak. We want our leadership teams uh, to be empowered to speak. We want our members to be empowered and we need to be good listeners. Decisions are best made when voices are empowered to speak. Now, the reality is that sometimes we won't always be able to disagree. We sometimes will have to disagree in love. Here we have a situation where they went their, their separate ways. Uh, most of the time in our churches, even when we've um, powerfully spoke, we may agree to say, okay, I can see the consensus is. And that's the, the great role of chair or senior pastor summarizes the discussion a little bit like James did and leads the team to a consensus decision. Uh, what we don't want is, um, uh, you know, people misapplying categories where they talk about right and wrong when they should be talking about wise and unwise. Uh, when people couldn't care less what impact it has on other Christians. You notice the leaders in Jerusalem really, really bent over backwards to maintain harmony and unity and fellowship in the church. So they're just some reflections on this one passage. It's not the only passage on leadership. It's not the only passage on divisions, but it seems to me it, it brings in one passage some very key ideas for us as leaders the kind of things where we need to teach, what kind of category is this threat, uh, the consequences, the importance of keeping fellowship, and the importance of keeping the gospel spreading, but understanding that those calls, those wisdom calls, are not always easy, and we need to be patient and gracious towards one another. Uh, I'll leave it there, and uh, we can discuss things further. And we're going to go to um, a time of Q&A. Um, Phil um, Topham, remember, is curating our questions. Uh, just two things to flag up for you um, before we dive in with questions. Firstly, to remind you that next week is the um, FIEC AGM. Um, uh, it's also I'm going to be giving a bit of a, a kind of a, a presentation on how FIEC um, has served, uh, how we've been blessed even in the course of this last year. It's an important meeting. If you're an FIEC church leader, please could you um, and, and your church representatives make the effort to come. We need at least 100 people to do the minimal amount of business that we've got to do, but it would be really helpful to us to be able to um, get that done. Um, I just also, um, just to sort of bring to your attention, the Evangelical Alliance is organizing a national day of prayer uh, on uh, next Friday, which I think is Friday the 13th of November. That might be just something you might want to just bear in mind. It'd be great to have churches all across the UK uh, praying and joining as we pray for the work of the gospel at this uh, really difficult time. So um, just to note that, I'm sure we'll send out more information about it, but um, uh, just to uh, bring that to your attention, just so you can plan. Phil, let's dive in with questions. Uh, thanks, John. Uh, first of all, a couple for Ray, if I may, on the back of your really helpful presentation, Ray. And um, obviously, John has outlined uh, the, the new the new laws that, that are coming in uh, a minute past midnight tomorrow morning. Uh, Ray, how do you think those laws have any bearing on how we flex with that desire to maintain fellowship with one another? Hmm. Yeah, it's a tough one, isn't it? Um, 
I, th I think that issue, it, it, to me, I think that initial one that Stott raises, is the truth of the gospel under threat? And I think we'd say no. Um, we're not being forced into false doctrine by anybody. Is Christian fellowship under threat? Yeah, we are going to get a, a range of opinions from between churches and from within churches about what's um, the best thing to do. Now, the difficulty is, is when that when that conversation becomes about right and wrong, obedience or disobedience, it's, it's very interesting. The back end of um, the middle of Acts 15, why commentators have struggled with this is sexual immorality looks like a right wrong thing. Uh, eating meat with blood in it looks like haven't they? Didn't they listen to Jesus thing? You know, it, 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 they look, what, what are these all doing in the same categories? And what I think it's trying to show is there are times when consciences are struggling with that whole, is this allowable? Is this wise? Is this good? Is this right? Is this necessary? Is this commanded? Those four things that they, they write about are in those zones where we're not quite sure. What it's saying is, look, be patient with one another when sensitive consciences are trying to work that one through um and i guess what we need to say to one another is we need to be patient with one another we we don't want any anybody in any church within the church or between churches sort of really looking down on others and unless they're attacking the truth of the gospel putting the truth of the gospel at threat we will need to grapple with that as they did and 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 recognize that when when something's deeply held even if it's deeply held for the wrong reasons, and, and you know the whole discussion of the weak and the strong in Romans is a very complex issue. We need to be sensitive to one another on this issue and try and inform our thinking so that we don't miscategorize, which is what a lot of Christians do. You know that. I don't like it. It's wrong. Is so common amongst Christians when what you mean, you just don't like it. It's that whole issue of right, wrong, obedience, command, disobedience. We've got to be very careful. And, and they are grappling with that because some of the Jews were worried that they were disobeying God still. And that they needed time to understand how the new covenant was working out in their lives. And I think that's maybe with the territory we're in. Uh, thanks, Ray. Uh, the other question I have for you is very much linked to that. And you've answered it, I think. So I'm not going to ask the question. You'd be repeating yourself. Thanks, John. That's everything from Good. me. Thank you so much, everybody. Thank you for bearing um, with us. Thank you um, so much, Ray, for helping us to think um, these situations uh, kind of through. Um, please um, uh, just know that we are seeking to serve you in FIEC um, uh, in every way we can. We are praying for you. If you need our individual help, please do get in touch with us in the office and we'd be happy to provide you with whatever advice um, and help uh, we can. Uh, next week, the AGM. Let me just pray. Father, thank you for this time that we've had together. Uh, we remember what we heard at the beginning. May we be those who pray um, and know your peace, that we might be those who rejoice even in these circumstances. Uh, we thank you for all that Ray has taught us. And we do ask and pray that in our leadership teams and in our churches, we would know unity. Might we, where necessary, be able to have those extensive and honest conversations with one another so that we might uh, remain um, united Grant us great sensitivity and understanding to diversities of views. Father, we pray for uh, all of our churches and all of the churches in the FIEC and all gospel churches in this country, 
that you would be merciful to them as they come to terms with these new restrictions? Might you help us to know how to make the most of uh, the gospel opportunities that are available to us? We pray for online services this Sunday and in the coming weeks that they would be really fruitful um, in proclaiming the good news of the gospel. Please help us to know how we can serve our communities. Please help us to know how we connect with our neighbours and friends. Most of all, we ask and pray that you would give us confidence that you are sovereignly in control and working out your purposes. May we not lose heart. In Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to the FIC podcast. For more resources for church leaders, subscribe to this podcast on your favourite podcast app and visit our website at fiec.org.uk.